You are listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, Season 1, Episode 34. With Citizenship and Immigration Canada making it increasingly difficult to speak to an officer, there are a few places to turn for information that can be relied upon. The Canadian Immigration Podcast was created to fill this void by offering the latest information on Canadian law, policy, and practice. Please welcome ex-immigration officer and Canadian immigration lawyer, Mark Holthy. As he answers a wide variety of immigration questions and shares practical tips and guidance to help you along your way. Well, I am back in this episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast with my good friend who I've uh, recently called good friend because she's on my podcast and everybody who comes <laughs> on my podcast is a good friend, uh, Tamara Mosher Kucher, who is an immigration lawyer practicing with the law firm of Capel Kane uh, Immigration Lawyers in Ottawa. Welcome, Tamara. How are you? Very good. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I'm super stoked to have you join me because uh, Express Entry is getting uh, flipped up on its head again. And all those people that were complaining about how evil it was and how unfair and cruel to international students and CEOs and executives and, and everyone else, well, it appears that the Liberal government has actually been listening. It does. We've seen some major changes that I think... Are it's going to vastly improve the situation for, for basically all those people, the postgraduate work permit holders, NAFTA, uh, intracompany transfer um, work permit holders. They're, they're all getting more points now. And it's interesting because some people are also going to get their legs cut out from under them. So the ones that were lying exclusively on those 600 points are now facing the reality that it's no longer a golden ticket, that LMIA. So we're going to dive into all of these sordid issues and, uh, and try to demystify the changes that are going to become effective November 19th, I believe. We're recording this November the 14th, so this is hot off the press. Um, and uh, hopefully the information that, uh, that Tamara is going to share with us today, and I'll throw a couple of my own two cents in here, is going to give people a better idea of how the express entry landscape is going to be transformed here right away quick. But as I do with all of my guests, I need to tell everyone a little bit about Tamara. Um, Tamara holds a JD from Dalhousie University um, and uh, uh, an LLM from the University of Ottawa. LLL. What is that? It's a common law degree. Or oh. sorry, it's a civil law degree. I have a common law degree from Dalhousie and a civil law degree from the University of Ottawa. Okay, awesome. I wasn't sure if it was a typo. See, that just goes no. to show I'm from Western Canada here, so I'm not very sophisticated when it comes to civil law and stuff like that. So, all right. Okay, that's perfect. So, from University of Ottawa, and then you completed your BA uh, at McGill. Um, she also told me that she's lived, worked, and volunteered in a number of different countries. So we've got Thailand, Cambodia, Japan, and France. Okay, tell us a little bit about this. So start with start with the sequential kind of how you tra- you know how you transited through each of these these countries. I'm fascinated to hear this. <laughs> well, um, I was an exchange student in high school in Japan. Uh, so I lived there for a few months when I was 16, and I've gone back a few times to visit since. Cool. Um, 
then after my undergrad, I moved to Thailand and taught English um, in first in Lubbury, which is known as Monkey City. It's an hour outside Bangkok. And then I moved to oh, Chiang okay, Mai. Okay, back up, back up. Okay, Monkey City. <laughs> is this because the population of the monkeys there rivals the humans or, or what? Pretty much. We used to we used to have to watch out for the monkeys walking to the school because if you were carrying like your lunch, they'd they'd jump up and try and grab it from you. And then you'd be wrestling with a monkey for, you know, your bag of potato chips or whatever you were carrying. (laughs) So uh, I got tired of the monkeys uh, because it was just no way to live with monkeys everywhere. (laughs) Um, And then I moved to the north of uh, of Thailand to Chiang Mai. and then I moved back to Canada. And then when I was in law school, I moved back to Thailand and then Cambodia. And I did a few months of a, a legal internship in Phnom Penh hmm. in Cambodia, um, doing uh, ba- teaching human rights, human, basic human rights at a, at a kind of local level. Cool. So what um, kind of school? Like, where, where did you teach? Um so I drafted lesson plans that were then translated into Khmer and they were taught by Cambodians in two other Cambodians in villages. So I only had the opportunity to actually teach my lesson plans twice uh, to make sure that they were effective. Yes. Um, but then they were translated and, and I think probably taught more effectively in the local language. Of course. Very cool. Huh. Interesting. And, and then you yeah. transitioned to France. And then after law school, I tore my ACL and <laughs> couldn't do very much. So I decided that I should improve my French before doing my my LLL in Ottawa. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I I went to France and um, I did this thing called woofing, which is willing workers on organic farms. So um, <laughs> with my leg brace and my cane, I I farmed. Which I was I'm sure I was an, well, I know I was an awful farmer, <laughs> but. <laughs> the, the, the best part was I did a two-week stint at a goat farm oh, where I yes. was, uh, yeah, I was milking goats and goat herding. Again, not so effective with the cane. The goats totally had the run of me. But, um, yeah, we were milking the goats twice a day and making goat cheese. It was r- truly an amazing experience. <laughs> well, I can, I, I, I'll admit, um, I have not had any other guests on my podcast that have experienced goat farming. So you're the first. This is awesome. You're breaking new ground. This is distinction. This, yes. This is so cool. That's awesome. So, uh, so Tamara, you are also involved with the Canadian Bar Association uh, a little bit. So what do they got you doing these days? I am. I am the, uh, the CBA uh, external relations coordinator, which basically means I am the, the the voice of Twitter and uh, and Facebook for the CBA. So uh, I encourage everybody to follow uh, CBA on uh, CBA immigration on Twitter for the most up to date information. I'd really try and tweet out everything as it as it comes out. So that's really that's what I'm doing for the CBA primarily. Perfect, and we will qualify that this is not a CBA podcast in any way, shape, or form, or affiliated or associated with it. <laughs> and these uh, the views expressed, yes, they are. Anything expressed on this is entirely uh, the concoction of myself and Tamara. So uh, just to put put that to rest. 
Um, awesome. All right. Now you've got here some of your passions, cooking and reading. Um, I see immigration on there. And you know what? I think most of my guests have to have a passion for it for us to stick around these days, especially <laughs> as business immigration lawyers, which um, which is definitely your area of, of focus. And, and, and uh, we can't say we're experts or specialists. Well, actually, maybe... Can you say no, you're specialist? Not quite yet. Okay. Okay. No. Anyways, so the reality is to stick around this crazy, volatile world of business immigration. It takes a special breed, and uh, yeah, a, a passion for immigration is definitely one of them. Um, within uh, Tamara's practice, as I indicated, uh, within the the law office of Capel Kane, they focus uh, exclusively on business immigration and are are just awesome at it. And you know, her practice ranges from all kinds of corporations and foreign workers and individuals and professionals seeking assistance with a wide variety of Canadian immigration needs and uh, the trickier the better. So they uh, they dive into those and help save companies when they've messed things up on their own and need uh, you know professionals whose work permits are are you know falling apart and they're the experts that are fixing up all those difficult ones. But they also like to take on all the work from the big four accounting firms um, that are not getting serviced very well. So uh, they love doing all that too. <laughs> See, it's my podcast. I can say whatever I want. So even though some of our, our, our good friends are with those, those offices, yes, better service, better prices. <laughs> I'm just joking. Now I'm, now, I'm, now I'm saying things that are completely my own. Tamara has nothing to do with these comments. <laughs> and in fact, and in fact, I'm going to have some of them join us on future podcasts. So, you know, if, if they're, they're transforming the landscape of business immigration. So I will poke fun at them and uh, make their lives difficult as much as possible. That's my role going forward. So including having them on my podcast to talk about how awesome they are too. <laughs> All right. I think we've, we've had a pretty fantastic introduction, but before we jump right into it, the question I ask all of uh, the guests on the show, how did you get into immigration law? I think it's a, it's a difficult question, but I am probably like many of your guests, a first-generation Canadian. My father uh, immigrated when he was 16. Um, I, from where? Like we from covered. Where? Uh, he, from Russia slash Israel. Cool. Um. So, so I have that. So I had that growing up, and then I have my own personal visa woes through through many countries. <laughs> um, and then I volunteered with the refugee clinic in Halifax, and I've just dealing with um, immigrants and dealing with immigration is something that that really fascinates me because of my. Uh, my personal experience, because I love learning about different people and different cultures. It's it's a very interesting practice area where I literally learn stuff every day, whether it's about immigration law, whether it's about a, a certain type of job. Um, I'm just every day it's something new, and I, I really enjoy that. And and I also, to a certain extent, enjoy how much this area keeps us on our toes. <laughs> it definitely keeps us hopping, doesn't it? It really does. You know, it's interesting. Um, you know, I, I ask all of my guests, you know, how you get into immigration. And, you know, to a large extent, uh, we tend to fall into it. Or we had some prior interaction with immigration that kind of piqued our interest. And one thing I haven't shared before is um, I, when I was 19, um, I was planning on serving a mission for my church. And uh, I was originally 
uh, we received, you know, these calls basically to serve in a different country. So we didn't choose. They chose for us. We said, hey, I want to go and serve for a couple of years. And they say, all right, you're going to go here or you're going to go there. And so I was originally supposed to go to Salvador, Brazil. And um, so I did that. And then I went down to the missionary training center down in Provo, Utah and spent a couple months down there. Five days before I was supposed to go, they told me, oh, we made a mistake. We're trying to process you like an American. And apparently you don't have the same visa uh, exemptions that the Americans do. So we're going to have to start over from scratch. It'll take another six months. So we're going to have you go to Boston instead and <laughs> because there's a Portuguese speaking community there. And I said to myself, and I said to myself, okay, well, I'm a little disappointed. I was hoping to go to Brazil, but Hey, whatever I need to do, so be it. And then later that day, they called me back and said, Hey, well, we've, there's actually, they're letting missionaries in on tourist visas to Portugal. And so you can have a choice. And so, <laughs> so I said, well, let's see, Boston or Portugal. Hmm. Uh, where, where in South America is Portugal? And they're like, uh, it's, it's actually in Europe. <laughs> so, so that was my introduction to, um, to visas and uh, the, the problems that can arise uh, with the processing of them. And, and so that was my introduction. And I think to a large extent that, that colored a little bit my decision to, to get into this as well. So I thought I'd just share that. I hadn't shared that yet with, uh, with the listeners. But uh, so th- there's my introduction. I'm going to assume you went to Portugal. <laughs> I did. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I did. But after three months, I was cursing myself. I was saying, why did you not just go to Boston? I couldn't understand anything anyone was saying, a different, it was, you know, different culture, different food. And uh, yeah, but after a few more months, it got better. And then, yeah, it was, it was awesome. The greatest experience of my life, aside from marrying my dear wife and all, everything else that I'm forgetting. At the time, it was definitely hands down the most amazing experience so any chance I can get to, to speak Portuguese with people, I'm all over it. Uh, but here in Southern Alberta, there's not a real hotbed of Portuguese speaking uh, communities. So anyways, all right, let's dive into this. I know the listeners, they're like, oh my goodness, when are they just going to get to it? <laughs> <laughs> so in the show notes, I'll make sure that I timestamp uh, our discussion. So the people that wanted to uh, just skip over all the introductions can get right to the juicy stuff. <laughs> all right. <It's> good of you. <laughs> hey, I'm only here to help. So, all right, let's dive in. So the very, very first thing right off the bat, we have got a new definition of offer of arranged employment. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that? Certainly. So under the previous express entry system, the one that's going to exist until November 19th, um, there were two ways that you could have a qualifying offer of arranged employment. That was you had to have either an LMIA, a labor market impact assessment, plus um, an an offer from your employer saying that they had offered you a permanent full-time indeterminate position. That was one way. The second way was to have a work permit that was supported by an LMIA, so based on an LMIA, um, that also an offer from an employer saying that they had given you a, a, a full-time permanent indeterminate offer of employment. So those were the two previous ways to have a qualifying offer of arranged employment, and, and that continues now under the new system. But we have another way now, um, which is kind of which is very exciting. Um, it's that employers or employers, it's that workers with an employer specific work permit, such as a NAFTA professional 
intracompany transferee, um, somebody here under Francophone Mobilité, um, IEC Young Professional, uh, Research Chair, Medical Resident, there's, there's, a, there's a long list. I'm not going to go through the entire list. But basically, if you have one of these employer-specific work permits, so if you look at your work permit and there's an employer written on there, um, you can benefit from the the points for qualifying offer of employment um, if you have this work permit plus an offer, um, a written offer of employment. The other change that is a little less clear is whether that, whether you now need a written offer of permanent indeterminate employment or whether you just need an offer for one year. It's a, it's a little unclear because uh, the ministerial instructions say one thing and the backgrounder that was released today says something different. So I think on November 19th, when they release, um, uh, when they release the, the actual new program, we'll, we'll know exactly what wording has to be in your, your letter of offer. Hmm, interesting. Okay, so how does this affect, like when we talk about the status quo right now, how an LMIA is the golden ticket and you get 600 points for it, and, you know, if you're a food service supervisor with an LMIA, you, um, you have a better chance of receiving an ITA than maybe a CEO or an executive of a publicly traded company. How has that been transformed now in terms of the comprehensive ranking system points? So, like you said, under the old system, you got 600 points for your LMIA. Um, and then somebody who is here maybe as a CEO or a NAFTA um, professional in order to get that 600 points, they would need to do an LMIA, which was a little bit of a fictional process because they would already be here in the position working and the employer would then have to undertake a, a recruitment campaign for a position that was in effect already filled. And so a lot of employers didn't wanna go through the time or the, extents, um, the expense or potentially the pretense of doing that. Um, and so they didn't. And so these these workers couldn't benefit from the points. Now, um, these workers can get points, but it's not 600 points anymore. It's um, depending on your skill level, either 50 or 200 points. So if you're a NOC 00, which is a senior managerial or executive, you could benefit from 200 additional points. And if you're NOC um, A, B, or any other knock O, uh, you could benefit from 50 points from having this qualifying offer of arranged employment. And so just to clarify then, so if you're a food service supervisor with an LMIA, then how many points, and, and a job offer from the company you're working with, so, so that results in how many points? Well, it really depends because now all the other factors are so much more important. Your language, your mm -hmm. language levels make a huge difference. Your whether you have education, whether you, whether you have um, a high school diploma, or whether you have um, a higher higher education of some kind, that really makes a difference. And so, I think one of the big changes we're going to see now is that people are going to have to do an educational credential assessment, an assessment of their foreign education, to, to benefit from education points. Whereas before, you could skate through on just having. The um, LMIA. Language test and mm -hmm. your LMIA. Yes. Okay, so when that person, and I keep going back to the food service supervisor because those are, tend to be a, a large portion of the positions that are, are getting these ITAs. So their point threshold in terms of the arranged employment um, 
it's dropping from 600 down to 50? Yes. And that's because they're a knock B. But our CEOs and executives, and I have two in Toronto right now that I'm almost positive are dancing, um, <laughs> they've been languishing at about 420, 430 points. Um, bec- and, and the reason they didn't receive any more is because they're zeros. <laughs> in other <laughs> words, <laughs> not not zero in terms of personality or anything like that, but in terms of age, they're zero. Because most CEOs and executives tend to be, uh, you know, 44, 45 or older, and you get no age points. And it was those age points that were the, the, the difference maker. But now, if, you know, because they're in positions that are a double zero executive, senior executive, uh, senior managerial, they have the opportunity now to get an extra 200. Is that correct? Working in Canada with an employer who offers them, you know, is, is there to support them? Yes, exactly. As long as they have the, um, they have to have one year experience mm-hmm. already working here. Yeah. But so long as they have that that one year minimum working here, they can get those two hundred points. Cool. It'll be really interesting to see how these draws are going to be impacted, and uh, where it is. people I, are. I almost think we need to have uh, some kind of pool with. <laughs> To see what's going to happen, where they're going to set that pass mark. Where we can we can all vote on on where we think the line <laughs> is going to be. That is awesome. All right. So for skilled workers, um, for some people, it's going to be very very positive. For others, it may be surprisingly disappointing. Um, but one of the groups within Canada that has been suffering the most, at least in my opinion, from the changes to express entry, have been our international students. But there has been a very positive development on that front. Can you talk a little bit more uh, for individuals that have Canadian educational credentials? Yes. So for um, some students with Canadian educational credentials, they can now benefit from either 15 or 30 points um, for specifically for having that Canadian educational credential. So the 15 points is for uh, somebody with a two-year, a one- or two-year program. Um, the 30 points are for anybody with a, th- a three- or more-year program, a PhD or a master's or a professional, a university-level uh, professional program. Um, and so then they can get an extra 50 to 30 point or uh, 15 to 30 points. Um, and then if they happen to also have uh, an employer who's willing to do an LMIA for them, or they happen to have an employer-specific work permit in addition to uh, their postgraduate work permit, uh, they can also benefit from that extra 50 points. So that's that's an extra potential um, 65 to 80 points that they could be seen, um, which is huge, which, which will mean that we'll be seeing a lot more um, of these candidates being selected, particularly because they don't have to go through um, an educational credential assessment. They're everything, they, they already have the proof. The proof is their Canadian degree and their Canadian transcripts. Mm-hmm. And obviously, with a lot of these international students, one of the things that they suffered from, they had the age, they had the, edu- the education, those kinds of things, but they didn't have the Canadian work experience. So how do you think that's going to impact? Obviously, we're giving a little, a few more points here for Canadian education, and we really don't know how this is all going to shake down now that the 600 points for LMIAs are, are, are not going to be you know, dominating the scene uh, when it comes to these ITAs. Um, do you think that these, this, the, the points, you know, 15 and 30, is not a significant amount of points 
in and of themselves. But do you think that's going to be enough to push these students over? Because our government has repeatedly said they are the ones that we are, you know, we want international students. They're our ideal immigrant. Well, it, it kind of has to be because, first of all, because they're international students, they have the the opportunity to have the postgraduate work permit, which gives them the the opportunity to work in Canada. So then they have to they have to find an employer like everybody else. They have to find an employer who's willing to hire them um, in a knock A, B, or O position. But then once they do that, once they have that one year of Canadian work experience, they get they get so many points. Um, for having that Canadian work experience. So one year of points with the Canadian work experience plus their um, Canadian educational credential, plus they also get points for having a higher degree. All these points combined with generally their young age means that they're they're going to they're going to rise to the top. They're going to they're going to be the, the top point holders. Hmm, interesting. Without a doubt, any international students that are listening to this um, are, they're also dancing. And so, <laughs> so you can see that the government has listened and they've had a, you know, a little over a year here, almost two, I guess, to, to really assess the, the, the quality of candidates that they're getting and to determine whether or not the way they structured, structured things previously is actually getting Canada, the immigrants that they're targeting. And uh, for so many years, you know, at least since 2015, when it was first uh, opened up, um, individuals with these LMIAs were were given special treatment. And you can see how the landscape is changing and uh, international students are benefiting, uh, executives and CEOs are benefiting. And we talked a little bit about, uh, about, you know, the, the, the skilled workers who are here working you know, through one of the international agreements like NAFTA, the intercompany transfer uh, categories, and a whole host of other employer-specific work permits that are issued under the International Mobility Program. But these these individuals, um, how do you think they're going to benefit most from from the changes? So we've talked about the students, but we, we kind of glossed over a little bit the actual real tangible benefits in terms of comprehensive ranking system points. Well, so the same thing for, for the NAFTA professional um, work permit holders, intracompany transferees. Um, so an example would be, for example, a university, an American university professor who's here. Now, they've been working here. They haven't needed an LMIA. So maybe to get tenure, um, they need to have their permanent residence. So this has been a huge problem for them. They can't get, they can't get tenure at their school, um, and they... Uh, and they couldn't, the school didn't want to do an LMIA for them. So now uh, they're going to benefit from the 50 additional points for being in a knock skill level A position um, and having an offer of employment, which means they, they most likely they've been working in Canada for a few years. So they'll benefit from the points from their, uh, their Canadian work experience. To be a professor, you, you generally have to have a PhD, so they'll benefit from their education. Um, and then they'll have this 50 extra points for their, um, for their, for this offer of employment under, um, under these employer specific work permits. So, so they're also going to, as I put it before, rise to the top. They're, they're going to have more points than, um, 
than somebody who doesn't have a, a qualifying offer of employment or who hasn't been working in Canada um, or hasn't been working in Canada as long. So it, this is going to be a tremendous boon to, to all these these uh, workers who have already proven that they, they can um, work in Canada, that they can cope in Canada, that they're successful here. Um, so I, I think what the government has done is is excellent. And I, th- I think, as you put it, they, that these foreign workers will be doing a dance next week. <laughs> now, I, I, I'm not sure if your office is like mine, obviously, with a lot of the social media, um, you know, the, the blogging and podcasting and other things that I do, um, just to try and get my presence out there. Um, I receive just hundreds, probably close to thousands of inquiries from people all over the world who are looking to immigrate directly to Canada who may not have a job offer, at least one supported by a labor market impact assessment. So these changes, I'm just not so sure how significant they are going to be necessarily for these types of people. Do you see um, you know, any benefits flowing to these maybe highly educated, maybe their English is pretty good, but they don't have Canadian work experience. You know, they don't have that offer of employment or a work permit, you know, under one of these international agreements. Do you see, and this is kind of a little bit out of the blue, I know we hadn't really talked about this, but do you see any positives to them from these changes? Or is it kind of, you know, you're giving up one thing, but then you're, you know, you're, you're gaining something else. Is, is there a little give and take? I, I think it's definitely a little give and take. This, these changes definitely benefit people with experience in Canada. Um, it's it's definitely gone with the government initiative and the, the the thought process that people who have experience here, who have lived here, already have proven their ability to integrate here. Um, and unfortunately, people with foreign experience who still benefit from the points allocated to somebody with foreign work experience, they unfortunately don't benefit from the additional points uh, for the offer or for the um, Canadian education. What what will work in their favor to a certain extent is that because it's no longer 600 points, we're definitely going to see a drop in points. So if they have several years of foreign work experience and they're young and they score very highly in the language results, then they could still have uh, a decent amount of points. Now, when the program was first released, I remember our first national conference, uh, the, the panel on express entry, the, the um, immigration um, the immigration officers from, from, from Ottawa, uh, they indicated that the sweet spot was going to be somewhere between, I think it was 350 and 450. That was what their plan was. And uh, there were two times in the past almost two years where that, that point threshold dropped down to 450. And that was it. And all of the other times, we've been really hovering around the high 400s. You know, yes, we've crossed over 500 and those kinds of things, but it's kind of been around 460 and and up. And you hit the nail right on the head. I think one of the things, although not in, not directly, there won't be a direct benefit to, you know, individuals, international, um, you know, candidates who are applying. Uh, you know, there isn't going to be a direct benefit in seeing their points dramatically increase, like people who have a connection with Canada. I think there are going to be fewer people. Um, at least that are taking up these spots with LMIAs that are going to be able to qualify. 
which will indirectly result in the point threshold dropping. And it seems to me that many people, at least highly educated overseas that don't have a connection with Canada, they're sitting in that 400 to, to 450 range. And um, I wouldn't be surprised. And obviously, we can speculate till the cows come home. But, you know, once all the old programs, PR programs are flushed out and and they sort out, you know, the impact of, of all of the, the refugees and family class and all those kinds of things and, and increase our, our annual totals of, of immigrants, um, I believe that this is where the benefit's going to flow, that it's going to drop those totals and people that otherwise couldn't qualify may be able to do so now. Do you agree, disagree, or? I, I 100% agree. And I would also say um, that those people also have the option, well, they don't have the option, they must, when they enter the pool, register with the job bank, which in theory could mean that they get connected with a potential Canadian employer. How often that happens, I don't know. Um, but I, I definitely think that the points are going to drop and these workers, especially those with PhDs, with five plus years of uh, work experience and high language skills, their, their points are going to shoot up. And, and like you said, the, the, pool, the pool of candidates with high points is, is going to de- decrease. It has to because the, the 600 points are gone. Exactly. So it'll be very interesting to see um, what happens on the first draw after November the 19th. So when do you think that first draw is going to come? You know, because we're we're on the cusp of another one. It should be. So I I wonder how fast they're going to do that after uh, the changes, the regulatory changes are are become effective. Well, we are due, if if the draw falls the way they have been falling, we are due a draw this Wednesday. Now, it's possible that they don't do a draw because because of the pending point change. And I know that some people are scrambling to get their profiles in today and tomorrow in the hope that there is a draw on Wednesday and they are selected and uh, that they can get their 600 points for their LMIAs. Um, but if there is no draw uh, this week, then I believe there will be a draw the following week under the new point system. Mm-hmm. Um, and And... Your guess is is as good as mine. I think if I could posit a guess till the cows come home, <laughs> I I am hoping that we could see it go down to the 450 or maybe even yeah. the 440 mark. But yeah, well, that's when knows. the goats come home there. If, <laughs> if it's going to drop below 450, <laughs> you know, the reality is we're still faced with um, with the, the government quotas and the number of immigrants they can bring in every year. And I think to a large extent, the totals have remained pretty high because of that. They just have, they've used up the, the, the allotments that are available and so we'll see how this impacts these changes, at least with the comprehensive ranking system totals that they're going to be, uh, you know, that they're going, uh, the ministerial instructions that they're going to be focusing on. But it'll be, it'll be very interesting. I think in the spring, for sure, we're going to start to see larger numbers and lower totals, at least, you know, lower CRS draws. Um, but it's, it will be very interesting. Now, it will be. And the, the other thing I just I wanted to mention is that, um, we don't know what actual changes, physical changes are going to happen in the system when these changes occur. So we don't know if P- 
people are going to have to go in, people with these these work permits are going to have to go in and self-select that they do have a qualifying offer of arranged employment because that was not in their profile before. So anybody who has a profile in the system and thinks that their points are going to automatically change should be vigilant that that might not happen. They might actually have to physically go in and, and do something within the portal. And I can't speak to what it might be because I have no idea. Um, we'll know. We'll know on Friday. But um, I, I do think that people should be watching out because your points might not just just change magically on their own. Absolutely. I don't think there's any way of getting around uh, the fact that there's probably going to be some form of notification email that that goes out to all and you know people floating in the express entry pool that says, "Look, you need the, the changes have occurred. You need to go back and update your information." And boy, you know, I I wouldn't. Uh, you know, how do you do that? I'm really curious. You've seen how successful the government is with any technological, you know, development, any software they've created. It's full of glitches and it's just full of pain and suffering for all involved. You know, I'm almost of the opinion that it would be easier just to flush everybody out and make everyone resubmit new ones into the pool. Um, well, that's in effect what they did with the provincial nominee. It's mm -hmm. to get the nomination. A lot of people had to delete their profiles and, re and resubmit it. Yes. Yeah, I would not, I would not uh, be surprised. And of course, um, Capel Kane is offering a special price reduction for anyone who's resubmitting their profiles. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> 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 but if you want to get it done right, you know where to go. So that, that absolutely, that's uh, something to take into consideration. But let's face it, there's going to be a lot of people that are really confused by this and are not sure how it impacts them. They're not sure you know, exactly what it means for them in their future, especially if you're counting on it, you know, counting on qualifying. And even within our office, we have uh, uh, my my art articling student, Melvin. Usually it's me who has to do that, but now that I have Melvin, I don't have to. Um, he came in uh, Saturday afternoon for one of our clients just to make sure that the profile was submitted just in case because, um, you know, he is a young student. He doesn't have a lot of work experience and although he gets extra bonuses and benefits from from you know from some of the other categories, uh, he was just a little bit concerned <laughs> that what if? So I said, look, you're probably going to be fine, but we'll go ahead and we'll submit your profile anyways. It was on you know it was scheduled to to get submitted uh, tomorrow, so we came in a little bit earlier just to to help him out, um, just so that he wouldn't be panicking so much. But yeah, there's going to be a lot of uncertainty, and uh, there's going to be a lot of people out there that are looking to take advantage of people too. So don't be deceived. Um, go to people that you can trust. And uh, if you are um, navigating your way through this, make sure that you pay close attention to any notifications that the government makes because do not, I, I don't want anyone to just assume that when the changes come that their profiles are, are magically going to be updated because it's just not possible because the government can't create information that isn't there. So you may have to go back to your employers. You may have to get new, um, you know, uh, offers of employment in accordance with the new rules. And there's a whole host of things. So uh, those of us who are immigration lawyers, we're, we're definitely going to have our work cut out for us. But I have to, I have to admit, I am really excited about these changes. They make a lot of sense um, for what the government's really trying to do here. And for the longest time, I do a lot of work for food service supervisors. So it's not that, you know, I don't think they have a lot of skills and, and create, um, you know, wonderful immigrants to Canada. But the reality is we've got a lot of CEOs and executives and professionals and other people that are, you know, just as, as deserving who were cut out. 
and shutout. And we've got international students who'd spent hundreds of thousands of dollars to, to, to obtain Canadian education with the expectation that they'd have a pathway to permanent residence. And many of them had their feet cut out from under them when they realized, lo and behold, this direct pathway that was actually held out to them when they first decided to come to Canada, even by the Canadian government, you know, officials themselves, maybe not within immigration, but trade and development and all of those kinds of, uh, you know, departments, all of that just was, was unraveled and their dream of, you know, staying in Canada was, uh, was gone. So I, I love the developments. I'm, I'm really excited to see how they play out. Um, any, any last minute thoughts on, on any changes within the, the new regulations that we haven't talked about or, or any other insight you'd like to share um, that maybe you think would be beneficial to our, our listeners, uh, uh, Tamara? Um, well, I think just I want to clarify that postgraduate work permit holders, that is not an employer specific work permit. So they do not benefit from the additional 50 points. Uh, for an offer of employment. So I want that to be clear because I'm seeing a lot of questions about that on social media. Um, another kind of administrative point, if you will, is one of the changes that we didn't talk about is that up until now, you've had 60 days Good to point. submit your um, application for permanent residence, um, which has been a little nail-biting for some candidates who didn't necessarily have the the required paperwork, such as the police clearances, like, for example, a, a U.S. FBI clearance is taking 12 to 14 weeks. Um, so if you don't have that and you need to submit your profile or your application for permanent residence, that's a, that's a big problem. So they have now extended that to 90 days. That doesn't mean wait until the last minute to get your documents in order, <laughs> but it does mean you have a little bit more breathing room um, to get that application in. So if my CIC is down or the, the portal, the immigration portal is down, which unfortunately happens more than we would like it to. And if um, all, all of our American friends are uh, seeking new opportunities in Canada, uh, it, yes, and the government confirming they are not going to add more officers to process these inquiries, uh, yes, it, the, the portal may be a little bit more um, unpredictable. Exactly. So it gives you a little bit, um, a little bit more time to get your application in. So that was that was another um, nice change that we that we saw. And then moving forward, looking forward, the government has announced that there will be more changes coming in 2017. Um, and one of those changes, but again, we, we don't know what exactly it's going to look like, but there will be apparently some points for, um, for a Canadian relative. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of hope for the future um, for somebody who maybe doesn't quite have the points they need yet. There, there are potential future opportunities for, for more points. Mm -hmm. Maybe they'll throw out another 50 for that or something like that. <laughs> exactly. I think the, the, moral of the story with immigration is changes happen often. They are sometimes unexpected when they do happen because we, we just, we know they're going to happen in the future, but we don't know the date. So with immigration, you just, you have to keep checking back. You can't assume that because you, you put your profile in or um, that you read the instructions yesterday, that those instructions are, are still the instructions today. So you know, that, that is kind of one of the benefits of having an immigration lawyer to guide you because we spend our lives yes. <laughs> making sure that we know the changes. Absolutely. <laughs> no, I agree 100%. It, is, uh, it has been a very, very uh, busy, busy practice trying to stay on top of things. <laughs> and uh, 
when the policies are not always 100% transparent, it makes our lives quite a bit difficult, but I can only imagine what it's like for individuals who are trying to navigate their way through this. Uh, One of the things I learned right away, well, I shouldn't say right away, but over the last few years is that if you have an opportunity and you see, hey, I qualify for something, do not wait. Whether it's a provincial nominee program through express entry or through any other pathway to permanent residency, you must not wait. You have to act quickly because tomorrow it could be gone. And I think many people who are working on LMIA-based work permits who figured they had that golden ticket to express entry and that it would be out there perpetually never envisioned that they would completely kill it the way they have with this notification. And yes, you might still get 50 points, but when when your language is just meeting the bare minimum and your education is maybe even just an undergraduate degree uh, and and you only have one year of skilled work experience, your your dream of, of being in Canada may be delayed at best and at worst gone. And so uh, so move quickly. That's the one piece of advice that, that I would give. And uh, I'll also echo what Tamara was saying about staying up to date. Never assume. <laughs> always go back, even at the very last minute, always go back to check and make sure that, that there hasn't been some change. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much. I know that there'll be lots more to talk about. And this is kind of a precursor, a little bit of uh, divining guesswork as to how we think things are going to play out. And, you know, usually we can interpret pretty clearly from the regulations, uh, you know, proposed regulations, but we'll see what what appears um, on the 19th. And then uh, maybe we'll have to get you back on here to just confirm and see if there's any surprises. Sounds great. We're, uh, we're, it's going to be an exciting week. Well, I, I think it's going to be exciting a uh, few months, but it's, it's definitely going to be a very exciting uh, week as we watch the changes roll out. Absolutely. All right. Now, uh, Tamara, if people want to track you down and they have further questions or they like to engage the services of a, of a fine immigration lawyer here in the city of Ottawa, um, how, what's the best way for them to reach you? Well, they can go on our website and use the contact form. Um, my email is also listed on our website, uh, www.capelcane.com. Uh, they can also follow me on Twitter or reach out to me on Twitter, although I, I don't offer any legal advice on Twitter, uh, at T-T-R-R-M-K. Those are my initials. Perfect. <laughs> I have a lot of names. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Perfect. <laughs> And I'll make sure to put um, links to your firm website and your email address and your Twitter handle there uh, within the show notes of the podcast. So Excellent. Well, thank you so much for having me on. You bet. It's been a pleasure. A lot of fun. And uh, yeah, good luck as we uh, navigate this crazy world of immigration. Thank you. Okay. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye. Well, it was wonderful to have Tamara on the podcast with me today to share some insight on express entry and the recent round of changes that are going to be coming effective November the 19th, 2016. It's been a real interesting journey, this whole express entry process. And I don't think we've really even had a chance to see it in full working order. Um, Over this past year, I think a lot of us have, have seen the point threshold stay really high Uh, when the draws have come through and largely that's been as a result of uh, you know all of the the huge intake of Syrian refugees and uh, and family class applications and flushing out 
immigrants uh, from the all the old permanent resident programs. So as we watch all of these things unfold and and all of these programs kind of settle down a little bit, it'll be very interesting to see where that sweet spot truly is. And if you've listened to previous podcasts that I've done or watched some of the webinars that I've done, um, initially the government had always intended the sweet spot to be between 350 and 450 points. Well, the reality is it only dropped down to 450 on two occasions over the last relatively uh, more or less two years that the program has been in existence. So I'm very curious to see what's going to happen with the point thresholds now that the LMIA that golden ticket that it used to be no longer gives people that full 600 points. So, you know, I think most of us uh, prognosticators are, are, are guessing that the, t- the point threshold is going to start going down. And based on, you know, the fact that uh, a new year's coming, um, we hope to see that happen. But, you know, who knows? And anyone out there who thinks they do are, are definitely wrong. So we'll all be watching carefully. Um, and uh, we'll see how this all plays out. But I want to thank all of you for tuning in today. Uh, this podcast is one of my my true joys in life. I absolutely love doing it. And one of the reasons that I love doing it the most is being able to associate with just fantastic immigration lawyers and consultants across the country who are practicing at a really high level, who take the time to understand not only what the government's spitting out on their websites, but the, the regulations, the ministerial instructions, who, who understand what the law of immigration really is, and then share it with all of us in a way that any person can understand. Uh, I think Tamara did a wonderful job today. Obviously, we still covered things at quite a high level, you know, more like a 5,000-foot level. Uh, but but still, you can get a very good understanding of, of the proposed changes and how they're going to impact. Now, we know on Saturday, November the 19th, that the government's website is going to be shutting down. So any of you that are racing to get um, your EAPR filed before the old 60-day period comes up, uh, you need to make sure that you do that and get it done uh, by the 18th. Um, Uh, because you're going to be blocked out, especially if your time is running out. And we really don't know what this portal is going to look like. I can tell you when they first released it back in um, uh, in 2015, it was a nightmare. And uh, when I was on the Canadian Bar Association's uh, national executive, uh, we went through and and tried to, to give feedback to the government on all of these glitches within the system. And it was a real painful process. And even though they're just tweaking some aspects of it, and you would hope that all of the glitches have been worked out, I don't hold my breath. So anyone that has a portal, um, an EAPR application that needs to be filed because they've received an ITA under the old system, you better move quick and get that submitted. Because once that machine, you know, once the, the portal is, is shut down, the express entry portal, um, I just cannot see it coming back online without there being glitches, because there always is. And our dear government seems to really like to release things quick and then let us beta test it for them. And then they correct it as they get feedback from us on all the glitches within it, which is pretty much the world of any software development these days. The race to release and then future iterations as people provide feedback. So uh, there's no... Um, there, the, our, our current government here is definitely fully in line with that, with that model of, of uh, releasing uh, new programs. And really the portal, to a large extent, that's exactly what it is. 
All right. Well, I've done enough talking here. I want to once again express thanks to all of you who tune in, who listen to the podcast, who have given me so much positive feedback, and it really motivates me to keep going forward. And, uh, you know, so I, I want to express appreciation to all of you. If you know of any topics that you would like to have covered, uh, any guests that you think would be great to be on the podcast, please reach out to me. I would be happy to extend an invitation. The number of podcasts that I do really is based on the number of people that, um, you know, that I'm able to, to wrangle up and, and get to uh, come on with me. And so I definitely don't want to water it down just by having anyone on. But uh, the most important thing is, is whoever comes on provides awesome content. And that's the thing that's going to, to get people to continue coming back. Um, I also want to uh, just point out that with Express Entry being released, I intend to do another free Express Entry webinar uh, next week, which will be the week of, uh, I guess it would be the 21st. Um, That week, uh, I probably am not going to get it out on Monday. That's a little bit too quick. And I've uh, had too many other things going on right now in my practice to be able to to get that webinar set up. But next week, shortly after, so this Saturday, November the 19th, uh, Express Entry will go live and then that will give me a little bit of time to take a look at it, uh, see how the portal works, if there's any glitches, and then also just really break down at a, at a more detailed level the changes and how they're going to impact on um, for nationals who maybe do not have an employment connection with Canada Uh, international students, the senior executives, and just all of the rest of you who have been fighting to get PLMIAs to get those 600 points, well, your world has changed a lot now too. So I'm going to try and cover those topics. So stay tuned. Uh, Come back to my website frequently, the CanadianImmigrationPodcast.com website, or to uh, the Facebook page for for the CIP, um, uh, the Canadian Immigration Podcast. Come to our Facebook page. And uh, I'll try to post information on the upcoming webinar. If you have subscribed uh, to receive notifications regarding the podcast uh, on the website, um, you'll also get a notification of the upcoming webinar. If you haven't, please go to the Canadian Immigration Podcast and uh, subscribe. Give Give me your email address and I will notify you when it is going to be released. Uh, in the past, I opened it up to everyone. Um, in other words, I paid a whack of money uh, to to host it through um, GoToWebinar, and uh, I could have up to a thousand people live. And I have done that in the past, but I've actually found that uh, uh, my pocketbook can't quite afford the five hundred dollars a pop <laughs> to to host a one time webinar in that fashion. So I'm probably only going to allow the first one hundred people that can get logged in uh, to attend the live portion of the webinar. And then I will have it pre-recorded so people can listen to it after that. All right. Um, I've said thank you about three times now. So I'll finish off once again with a thanks for listening. Um, And I wish all of you uh, a wonderful upcoming week and uh, continuous uh, joyful practice in this crazy world of Canadian immigration law policy and practice. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, your trusted source for information on Canadian law, policy, and practice. If you would like to contribute a question for future podcasts or wish to set up a legal consultation with Mark, please visit www.ht-llp.com.
Yeah.